Welcome to the Healthcare Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. AI is an unstoppable force, and the hype around it is keeping people excited. What new ways can this be applied? How can we make things more efficient? How can AI change the world? All important questions, but just as important is how can we make sure AI is socially responsible? Today, we're joined by Tom Laurie, Director of Worldwide Health for Microsoft, who's coming on the podcast to discuss the guardrails that need to be put on AI in healthcare, why AI shouldn't be thought of as a replacer, but an enhancer, and the power it can have when it's being used for good. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us for a second time. I really enjoyed our first conversation, and I think we're really zeroing in here. The last time we talked about just AI and healthcare in general, some of the different uses, issues, exciting things that go around with it. And now we're narrowing our focus a bit around the ethics of AI, which is, I think, a really timely and important conversation, uh, especially as people get so excited about the different uses of AI and we start to see so many different ways to implement it in almost every industry. Absolutely. When, when you look at how pervasive it's becoming in all aspects of our work and personal life, uh, you know, as people talk about the technology capabilities, uh, we need to start looking more deeply at uh, artificial intelligence almost as a social issue, a social revolution as much as it is a technical revolution. And, and with that in mind, there are a lot of questions coming up about how to create it to mainly do good and, and, and the framework by which we do that so that it's fair and it really serves as many people as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, it needs to, uh, it needs to be part of the conversation from the get-go instead of something that we figure out as a society down the line once it's already implemented. Because at that point, it might already be too late to make sure the AI is following some, some moral guidelines. Absolutely. So let's just pick up with the general concept of ethics for AI. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really crucial part of AI as we start to integrate it into different industries. And so I want to know, from your viewpoint, what kind of guardrails do we need to put on AI? Or how do we need to start approaching that conversation in a constructive way? Well, uh, maybe to begin with, let me provide quick context. Uh, which will make the uh, the answer a little more clear. So I, I want anyone listening to think about uh, the, the things that brought us to where we are. So I'll, I'll go back as far as uh, in 1950, Alan Turing proposed the question of, can we teach machines to think? And obviously today the answer is yes, we've been able to do that with a lot of things. Uh, the second thing that happened that brought us to this point is really, I'm gonna give some credit to uh, Microsoft's founder, Bill Gates, who um, basically as geeky as Bill was and was portrayed as, his vision 40 some years ago was to bring computing power to the people and bring those benefits to the masses, which at the time he created the company, uh, most of that compute power was mainframe, wholly locked up by governments and large corporations. So you bring those two things together, uh, computing is pervasive in our lives. Think about your laptop. Think about the car you drive. Think about any websites you're using. And, and, and it's become pervasive, not only the technology, but the intelligence. We're young in the AI journey as far as making it real, but everything you do, everything you use is just going to keep getting smarter. So as that happens, we want to take advantage of the benefits 
And we also want to start raising the questions now, as you suggest, to say, how do we make sure that everything we're doing is fair, is accountable to the people it's supposed to serve, is transparent, and is ethical? So, so that's the topic that we're starting to see a lot of people raise as this becomes more pervasive. Definitely, yeah. Making sure that AI is something that has that moral compass instead of, like you said earlier, treating it um, just as a technological movement, whereas we really should be viewing it as a social movement. So, you know, as we start to look at that, in what ways are you already seeing AI being used in good ways, fair ways, unbiased ways? You know, how are people already helping set that standard? Yeah, great question. Because again, it, it, it's going to come down to how we take these growing technical capabilities and hopefully apply them to do good. So, so when I look around at what's happening, and again, I would say uh, while AI and things like machine learning has been around a long time, we're really all early in the journey of making it real, bringing it into our lives. So the, the early uh, things that I'm seeing in healthcare, which is my background, we're seeing a lot of great things uh, particularly around the ability to predict things that clinicians and consumers care about. Uh, the ability to predict everything from um, which patients may be at risk for certain uh, diseases to uh, there's a great example recently of a provider organization here in the United States that's using massive amounts of real-time data they have available to predict which patients already in the hospital are likely to have an unexpected adverse event occur so rather than waiting for that to happen, coding them, putting them in ICU, they're actually heading off those adverse events. Uh, beyond healthcare, we're seeing a lot of cool things. One of the things I'm really excited about is a, a new relationship between Microsoft and the National Geographic Society on a program called AI for Earth. In this, we're teaming up with National Geographic. Uh, we're committing a million dollars. We're actually looking for grant recipients right now where we're going to place a million dollars in grant money for projects to use machine learning to transform conservation work. Uh, we're looking for novel projects to improve the way we monitor, model, and ultimately manage Earth's natural systems for a more sustainable and healthy future. So lots of things going on. And, and again, as this happens, as it becomes more pervasive, we're starting to realize that there are some frameworks there are discussions we collectively need to have and how we're directing this, how we're organizing it, and ultimately how we're using AI. So it's mainly going to do good and hopefully mitigate the, the opportunities for this to get off the tracks. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned having those conversations as such an important part of it because I think we've been having those conversations, but maybe they've been a little misguided or not quite as focused on the part of AI that is most important. Um, you know, we've maybe been focusing on the fact that it is artificial intelligence, right? AI. But I think in that we've been sort of prescribing an idea of artificial wisdom as well, even though that is probably never going to happen is the idea that, oh, artificial intelligence is going to be able to do everything the human can and it is going to make it easier for us. Well, yes, it's going to simplify a lot of processes, but 
you know, at the end of the day, we're still going to need human empathy. We're going to need human judgment, um, you know, being able to communicate things, especially I think in a, in a field like healthcare with where so much of the data and conversation is sensitive. Absolutely. And, and again, you raise all the issues where, um, you know, while everyone's seeing and hearing about, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, I defy anyone to show me an article or a story on artificial wisdom. And, and, and you're pointing out the, the upside of artificial intelligence, which we keep getting better at the ability to predict things. We keep getting better at the ability for computers to mimic human functionality, such as vision and speech. But w- while that is, um, you know, uh, aiding humans, no one has been able to figure out how a computer can truly demonstrate judgment, wisdom empathy, all of those things that are critical to a care process. And what's always interesting to me is when I hear people uh, talking about how artificial intelligence is going to replace clinicians. I don't know about you, but even if uh, a computer could get something uh, scientifically right on a prediction, you know, that whole care process uh, involves so much more than predicting things. And, and, and probably the best way of illustrating that, particularly in healthcare, is when you think about machine learning and predictive capabilities, it's truly doing good. But to your point, as far as the, the, the boundaries or the, the limitations, uh, anyone that's ever worked in, in, uh, on the clinical side of things or research are very familiar with the discussion of correlation versus causation. Machine learning algorithms are very good at being able to predict something based on a correlation, but that's different than causation. My, my, my favorite example is, uh, for anyone listening, if you have a few minutes, uh, there's a book, and there's a great website called Spurious Correlations, any search engine, you can find it. But this is a website that really brings home in a very fun way that correlation versus causation. So one of my favorite examples from uh, the website is um, where they show that there's a perfect correlation, 0.995, between iPhone sales and the number of people who die every year in America by falling down stairs. So there's a great correlation, but... You know, if, if we reduce iPhone sales, will that reduce the number of people dying by falling down stairs? But it, it makes the point that there's a place for AI, there's a place for predictive capabilities, but that has to be augmenting the skills, wisdom, and experience, whether it's clinicians on the healthcare side or whether it's those experts that have certain capabilities as humans that we've yet to be able to figure out how to build into a computer. Right. I think there are some industries where AI can replace the human and it's more efficient. So I don't know, for example, I think in some modes of transportation, perhaps giving the power over to the AI and being able to, once it's refined, coordinate for public transit, perhaps, you know, you don't necessarily need the driver. Um, But I think for something like healthcare, I don't think we should be having conversations of how can AI help replace the clinician or help replace the care um, because at, at the end of the day, stuff like healthcare needs that human element to be successful. Absolutely. And again, for anyone listening that's healthcare focused, um, this is really coming into focus with a lot of conversations 
in the provider world and the payer world, even the pharma world. I know uh, I, I was recently at a, a closed door think tank with a lot of really great groups in Washington, D.C. Um, and, and just before that, the American Medical Association put out their first position paper on uh, use of artificial intelligence, or in, in, in the case of the AMA, uh, they're calling it augmented intelligence. But again, it, it's a dialogue that's starting to occur, and, and, and we think the, the dialogue should be as broad as possible within healthcare. It should be all of those driving healthcare. It should also include the consumers, because they are ultimately the ones that we're trying to serve and will either be the beneficiaries or, you know, if, if there's any risk of, of doing harm, they're also the ones that are at that point of having some risk. So I think we've established here that we need to be having these conversations and they're important, especially in healthcare. I don't think we've quite touched on how to start, you know, making sure AI is meeting all these really important criteria. So in your experience, how should we be having these conversations? How should people in the healthcare space start looking at AI to make sure that it guards against bias, that it's accountable, transparent, that it, it's human-focused, and um, makes sure it's efficient without necessarily um, taking human dignity out of the question, right? And saying, well, this is going to accomplish a lot if we're, if we're able to make some human sacrifice here. And I, I think that conversation is slippery slope. Yeah, well, again, you've already raised um, a lot of the key issues and, and, and part of how we're going to solve for it is doing just what we're doing now, which is saying, how do we make people aware that as great as the technical side of AI is, how it can contribute, that there has to be a framework by which it is developed, deployed, and managed. So to some of your points, um, one of the key things we're seeing in the area of machine learning or predictive capabilities in healthcare is uh, we're seeing a lot of people spinning up algorithms to predict things. And one of the biggest issues that needs to be um, looked at and managed is guarding against bias. So, um, you know, bias can come into uh, predictive capabilities in any of a number of ways. It can come in because the machine learning or the algorithm created reflects the bias of the person who developed it. It can reflect the bias of the data being used. Uh, it can even be reflected in, in the way in which machine learning in a continuous learning loop finds the shortest path to predict something that it may be at the expense of having some bias. So a quick example might be, I, I mentioned earlier, there's a great provider organization here in the United States that's using machine learning. They are doing real-time monitoring to predict which patients that are already hospitalized or at risk for an unpredicted adverse event. And, and they've got a great track record where their early work, they've reduced adverse events outside of the intensive care unit by 44%. So think about that. From a quality perspective, they're dramatically improving quality. From a cost perspective, if I can keep you out of one of the most expensive spaces in a hospital, which is ICU, that's great when it comes to efficient use of resources. If you're that patient or consumer, imagine the ability to keep you from getting into trouble with a major medical event. So absolutely a winning combination. 44% is an average. So the question is, while it's providing good, if that 44% really is comprised of 75% um, accuracy for white males, versus 45% accuracy for a Hispanic female. Would that be okay? 
I'm posing it as a question for people to think about, but these are the things that we are starting to get our arms around that have to involve the people using them, the people benefiting. Uh, AI that must be transparent. Uh, what if you had a physician that was giving you a, a uh, not only a diagnosis, but recommending a treatment that would be best for you? And, and you were to ask them the question of why are you recommending it? They could recommend it, but they couldn't tell you why. Um, that would be the case of machine learning where it may predict something, it may actually be accurate, but the question is, what do we need to know so that it's transparent in why it's predicting something, why it's recommending something? Uh, and, you know, I could go on on a number of other things, but basically, you know, boils down to there are certain things that we can look at, we can manage, but we have to have the conversation and we have to build a framework. The goal that um, you know we should focus on it, it is creating systems with AI that are as unbiased as possible, knowing, at least in my view, and particularly with healthcare data or provider data coming out of EMRs, um, the data itself has inherent biases. And by that, I mean, for example, here in the United States, where, and, and, and this is a statement of fact, not necessarily editorial, um, we may believe healthcare is a right, but legally it's not. So when you look at the way the American system works, and we were to go into any major market and just look at the intake and flow of patients coming into a hospital, given the fact that not everyone is equally well insured, there is likely a skewing of, of the patients, which eventually creates the data around which algorithms are developed, that is more skewed towards people who have easier, better access. And, and, and that's something that, um, you know, one could adjust for as far as just recognizing the data itself inherently will have some bias in underrepresenting certain groups of people. And that's one of many examples. But again, those who are creating uh, predictive capabilities, say for healthcare, being aware of those things, they have the wisdom and the tools to make adjustments. But you know, inherently, it, it's it's hard to create something that is without bias. But it's an imperative that we're really focusing on that as the market and the technology is evolving. So yeah, I. I think what we've kind of gotten to here is that AI in general it has its limitations and it's going to reach a point where we've sort of peaked out what can AI do before we still need to bring in the human element. And what does that look like to you? Some artificial intelligence in the healthcare space that is really meeting every single need, um, but is actually assisting the human element as well. Uh, you know, what, what would be that perfect sort of um, AI system in your mind? Well, again, for healthcare, uh, I'm not sure if there's a perfect system, but, but, but again, back to principles for doing good in healthcare. Um, I, I, I think uh, back to the American Medical Association um, and, and their, their white paper, um, the, the key theme is how do we enable and empower clinicians and others to be better at what they do? 
when we go back to what we talked about earlier of uh, everyone's talking about artificial intelligence, there is no such thing as artificial wisdom. That's purely the purview and domain of health care clinicians and humans and experts. So, so the ideal is um, having artificial intelligence really being an aid to do two things. One, to automate repetitive work activities that are found in healthcare everywhere. Uh, number two, to, to really truly augment the skills, wisdom, and time of those clinical decision makers. So there's a great example with another organization that's using machine learning and intensive care where uh, there are certain things that are almost universally true in intensive care units, including, um, you know, when a patient is put on a ventilator as they go in ICU, that ventilator is there to save their life. Eventually, at some point, that may cross over to being the number one thing that may cause a death because of a ventilator-related infection. The ability to grab all the data that's present, stream it, create an algorithm, then send back suggestive analytics to the critical care nurse or the intensivist to give them that data to say, here's the data that would suggest you're approaching a, a, a critical point. They still get to look at the data and make the decision on all the variables, but it's giving them better data just in time that they are in control of. So it's, it's figuring out how to automate things that are repetitive tasks free these clinical knowledge workers up to do higher value work. And then that high value work is supported by better use of all the data they have in their hands, making the kind of clinical judgments they think is best for that patient at that time. Right. Yeah. Being able to still with that AI, personalize the treatment and bring it down to the individual and not just relying on blind statistics um, and and numbers in general that would be sort of a one-fits-all. So the last thing I wanted to, to ask you to sort of wrap things up is we've been chatting mostly about AI as machine learning, but I know AI can extend so much further than that. There are so many other ways to think about AI, ways that it's being implemented. So within the healthcare space, what are some other ways that AI is being used, and how can we make sure that we keep those in line as well to make sure that they're human-centered and uh, have that moral compass? Yeah, well, um, first of all, just backing up, um, you know, a, a quick definition of AI, because many times I'll have conversations with people, and as I'm finishing the conversation, I realize we're talking about different things. So, you know, to, to your point, uh, I mean, to me, a simple definition of AI is IT systems that sense, comprehend, act, and learn. Uh, or intelligence that's demonstrated by software with the ability to depict or mimic human brain function. So we've talked a lot about uh, the area of predictive capabilities, which is mainly machine learning. But to your point, uh, there are massive amounts of, of technology that are mimicking, mimicking the human behaviors, such as bots and APIs that allow us to mimic speech and, and, and facial recognition and knowledge and hearing and learning, those are all increasingly being applied in and out of healthcare. So uh, a quick example would be uh, facial te recognition technology is, is, is moving ahead, progressing at, at great speed, and it's a great opportunity to do a lot of good things. In healthcare, facial recognition is being used to do things like um, 
look at how to uh, predict and potentially diagnose things like uh, genetic disorders in children. Uh, it's being used in a lot of other ways outside of healthcare. Um, and, and for example, in recent months, um, you know, we've really been looking a lot at how facial recognition is being used uh, for things like public monitoring. And, um, you know, Microsoft recently um, came out with um, a big push to say, you know, we, we see the value of things like facial recognition. At the same time, uh, back to that ethical application, we're calling on lawmakers and others to look more closely at facial recognition software and making sure that it's being applied in, in ways that are protecting the privacy and freedom of expression for every citizen. So um, there's a lot being done now, and there's a lot in the media around uh, public monitoring. Um, and, and it's probably a good example of the need for that social dialogue to come up with uh, some standards so that it's applied in a way that, that is good for those we're trying to serve. And it also recognizes the limitations of the technology. So a quick example on that, um, in, in the current issue of MIT's Technology Review, there's a, an article that's humorous, if not slightly scary, where uh, a, a, a group took a software that's being used uh, for facial recognition in public, and, and they basically took a, data, a criminal database, um, and then they scanned uh, the faces of members of Congress, and what they came up with, there were a high number of congressional people that were correlated to having a criminal record when in fact they did not. It, it, it's a great short read, but it points out the need to, one, have some parameters around what you're doing and also look at, um, you know, where the state of technology is. In this case, uh, the article also pointed out that in having those false correlations, uh, back to that bias, um, the correlations were, you, you were much more likely as a member of Congress to be correlated to having a criminal history if you were non-white and female. So, so it's just um, kind of a, an interesting example but again, it brings us back to AI is increasingly becoming pervasive in all aspects of our lives. Uh, it's mainly designed to do good. And it's imperative that all of us are engaged in this dialogue to make sure that what we're doing is really there to mainly serve us in being fair, accountable, and transparent. I think you summed it up perfectly. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think the way that AI continues to grow is we're going to keep seeing it uh, become almost um, a, a replacing force in so many industries. People are going to see the technology and want to find ways to just cut out the human element because it makes things more efficient. People can focus their time on other things. But I don't think that's ever really going to happen in healthcare. And uh, I think that as as AI continues to grow in the kinds of things it can do, um, we just need to make sure that we keep the conversation focused on how can those things assist the human element rather than replace them. 
Well, Tom, I really think we nailed in the point here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really happy with the conversation we had, and I hope our audience gets some really uh, potent insight out of this. So thank you so much for coming on and explaining the ways that AI is affecting the healthcare space, but more importantly, the ethics that need to go into the conversations around them, how it continues to grow, and uh, while it becomes more pervasive, you know, how do we make sure that it retains that human element? So yeah, again, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me as part of your podcast. And thank you everyone for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.